Namaste friends, you're listening to Impact India, a podcast that deep dives into the epic stories and innovation coming from the startup scene in India, with a focus on travel, fashion, and tech. Each episode, I sit down with incredibly inspiring social entrepreneurs across the country to hear their story, learn about their initiatives, and listen to their why. Looking for the newest and coolest social impact brands in travel, fashion, and tech? Jump over to causeartist.com and join our community. Oh yeah, and I'm your host, Jasmine Rain, Director of Content at Cause Artist and Social Entrepreneur. I'm the co-founder and owner of Hada House, India's first zero-waste travel organization and hotel chain. You can connect with me on social media at Jasmine Rain. Alright, no more stalling. It's time to meet India's next generation of impact influencers. Let's get it. Hello and welcome back to Impact India. I am so excited to introduce this week's guest because I actually went a little south of India to connect to start tying in the social impact happening across South Asia. So last September in 2018, when I was in Sri Lanka building our Kazar to Sustainable Travel Guide to Sri Lanka, I came across Josie and her organization, AMA, a social enterprise that utilizes food waste and plants to produce natural fabric dyes. The organization works in partnership with local NGO Tea Leaf Trust and UK-based charity Trade to train and employ mothers and young women living in and around Sri Lanka's tea estates. Josie, welcome to the show. I am so freaking excited to have you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to chat to you today. (laughs) I love it. And tell us, where are you from and what brought you to Sri Lanka? Yes, so um, originally I'm from, um, I grew up in London and spent some time also in Wales. And um, I first came to Sri Lanka back in 2010 um, when I was um, taking a year out of um, between my studies. I had a friend who was running an NGO here. And so I just came and worked with her um, in Kandy. And that was kind of the start of my relationship with Sri Lanka. I fell in love with the textiles here, how green it is, um, the people are so friendly and I yeah have just kept coming back since that happened yeah amazing and what led that to the to starting and launching AMA yep so when I went back from Sri Lanka um, in 2010 I realized that I really wanted to start studying textiles and so I when I was back in the UK I started my textile degree, um, which focused mainly on weaving and hand weaving. Um, And during that degree, I did a lot of dyeing. So I had to dye all of my own yarns for my projects and really learned about um, what goes into creating a piece of fabric, um, how time consuming it is, how resource heavy it is. And this was really kind of Um, the first link um, back to Sri Lanka. And during my um, degree, I had to use a lot of acid dyes. Um, And when I was in the dye room, all of the acid dyes had like skull and crossbones on the the boxes. And I was just like, this really can't be good for me or for the environment. So I started um, in my student kitchen, just started experimenting with Um, really basic kind of food waste like onion skins and blackberries 
and to create colour and dye my yarns and incorporate this into my projects. And that was really how I started moving into natural dyes. And when I was doing it in my kitchen, I just really um, wanted to find a way that I could utilise this on a bigger scale because it felt like such a small impact um, kind of me just using it. But I felt like there was such a space for it within the fashion and textile industry. Um, and it wasn't really being utilised. And I think in the last um, few years, um, you've seen um, bigger brands starting to use natural dyes more. Um, but really, it's, it's a space which isn't really being um, stepped into. And I thought it would be a really great opportunity to do that here in Sri Lanka. Um, so when I finished my degree, I spoke to my friend again who was out here. And she asked me whether I would like to come and um, work with a group of mothers that live in Neurelia, which is in the central highlands of Sri Lanka, um, amongst all the tea fields and agriculture. And she said that there's a group of mothers connected to their preschool who would really love to work, but the opportunities are just not here. Um, the only kind of areas of employment locally are in tea picking, um, or agriculture and tea picking is really low paid um, it's really difficult work and many young women don't want to go into it now um, and if you're a mother it's also difficult to find work um, kind of that's flexible and that allows you to still look after your child um, and so I felt like there was a real space to start something in this town also, um, there's some really big hotels and um, lots of vegetables are grown here. So lots of opportunity for us to start utilizing the food waste um, to produce um, yeah, different colors and textile dyes, um, which we use here. Amazing, that's so beautiful. And I'm so curious to, you know, people historically, especially in India, you know, plant-based mm -hmm. dyes were something that was always a part of of the textile industry and mm -hmm. i'm curious to like kind of reintroducing that how did people kind of perceive that that idea of going back to you know the old ways and and, and you know although it's a little bit more um a little bit more hands-on in terms of like the mm -hmm. process um was there any like initial like reaction to kind of bringing that back to the to the communities yeah so obviously natural dyes and plant-based dyes were used in sri lanka um they were used everywhere before synthetic dyes were introduced. And it often takes a lot of explaining. Um, so it takes like, usually I carry around like a, a pack of like fabric samples and some photos and anything which I can use to try and explain to people actually what has been used to dye it. Because especially in Sri Lanka, people are quite surprised about what's used. Um, and also, I think like we have to talk a lot to the hotels and cafes where we source our food waste mm. and this um, takes a lot of explaining um, but usually the response is so encouraging and excited um, and I think Sri Lanka yeah we, I've started um, working with a group of um, kind of designers and brands and also some people connected to the Sri Lankan government and in a political space um, to look at how we can bring natural dyes back to Sri Lanka on a bigger scale 
um, because there's such a culture of, around Ayurvedic medicine, um, which is still huge in Sri Lanka. And many people will go to an Ayurvedic hospital for natural remedies. And a lot of the Ayurvedic plants can also be used for dyeing. Mm. And so there's so much crossover in between natural dyeing and um, remedies that people already use and familiar with. So it's just, I think, working out the best way to explain it and how to introduce it to people. But since I started doing this about two and a half years ago, I've been so overjoyed to see um, how so many young designers or even um, yeah, people who are running their own brands are starting to consider incorporating natural dyes into their process and um, their designs and things. And that for me is just so exciting and it feels like there's a bit of a revival coming back in Sri Lanka to do with natural dyes. Absolutely and I, one thing that I loved about Sri Lanka was that like there was there was so much support for you know sustainable uh, approaches and practices um, mm -hmm. across like across a variety of industries like I was I was shocked but so excited by the amount of like you know vegan locally sourced like going zero waste cafes and, and restaurants mm -hmm. and you know all these initiatives being put into place um and i'm curious so when it comes to you know you know you're sourcing the food waste from these various um like hospitality spaces what does that process look like and because like my immediate thought is like oh goodness like you must have to do that so quickly to be able to like grab that food waste and then like start you know producing dyes right away so what does that look like yeah. for you yeah so that has been a real um, experimentation process <laughs> and um, so when we started we started working with some really um, great cafes and restaurants in Colombo um, and at the time I was coming back and forth to um, between Colombo and Neurelia quite a lot but Neurelia is about five hours drive from Colombo so it's quite a distance and I um, and yeah and they were great but we needed to find a solution which was more local and available in our town. And so it's so simple. We have some buckets and we um, drop the bucket off at the hotel and they fill it with avocado stones. And we collect it a few days later. And I mean, avocado stones are great because they don't start to go off really quickly. And also Neurelia is a much cooler climate. So mm. you don't get the kind of flies and like heat kind of right that's rotting. my immediate thing I'm like oh goodness and there's probably bugs everywhere trying yeah. to like deal with all of that <laughs> yeah and then the best thing for us was buying a freezer like that has transformed <laughs> our lives um and so now we've got like a big deep chest freezer and for the um for the things which need um freezing we for the things that, that we don't use straight away um, we freeze them. So for example, avocado season is now, but for a portion of the year, we don't get avocados. And so we try and collect as much as we can now and then preserve it um, to use during the rest of the year. And then things like pomegranate skins, we are working with a, a good restaurant in Colombo and they freeze them for us. And I think at the moment we're still working on quite a smaller scale. And so this kind of um, kind of process works for us. But when we're looking to growing bigger, um, that's going to be something which is going to take some challenging. And actually, that's when this group that I'm working with in Colombo around natural dyes, we're 
thinking about how can we start talking to some of the big supermarkets and the big juice bars and how can we utilize waste on a bigger scale is there other ways that we can preserve these dyes can we um, make the dyes really quickly and then store the liquid or can we ground them down dry them out ground them down into powders like how can we um take what we're doing now and turn it into something which um yeah can be much more impactful in the next few years time kind of yeah. thing amazing it's so, it's so beautiful to hear that someone's doing this because I, I just like especially working in hospitality and tourism like the amount of waste specifically food waste that's mm. produced on a yearly basis is just insane and to look at the numbers is overwhelming and people don't realize the impacts that they have on a destination um, just simply through the way they travel so um, you know it, it sounds like there is like endless opportunity for you to explore this this part of, of the sector and and continue to innovate ways to take food waste and and actually create something beautiful out of it so thank you for what you do it's so amazing oh, oh, it, it's I love it and it um yeah I just get so much joy from it so it's yeah I love absolutely. it absolutely <laughs> absolutely and so how many women are you currently working with and, and you know what is your training like program look like how does that how do the women get started yeah so we're currently employing eight women in our Neuralia workshop and we're employing another up to 10 by the end of next month and so the last um kind of few months we've gone through a massive growth spurt and our training program is at the moment quite flexible in terms of we don't um employ based on skill set we employ based on um, like commitment, need, desire to learn. And that allows us to reach the women that we really want to provide employment to and who it will make the biggest impact. Um, we, in terms of the dyeing, up until about, I guess, kind of nine months ago, I was doing a lot of the dyeing myself. Um, and that was mainly because um, of language barrier and it's that's been a real challenge in terms of with textiles I think it's such a, an industry which is so um, suited to I mean it's cross-cultural like the skills which a lot of the women learn here in school like embroidery I also learn at school in the UK and I just love how they kind of merge and it's like a language on its own and there's so much around textiles that you can really um, describe through action and really basic language. And for the first year, we it was just me and two mums kind of working in this um, kind of garage. And we got by with a little bit of English and a tiny bit of Tamil. And we managed to make it work. But as we were kind of growing and as my role started to move, needed to move from doing the practical work to securing orders and developing the brand and the marketing, um, we brought on a wonderful woman called Mina, who is um, our workshop manager. And so I taught her how to dye, and that was kind of the biggest jump in terms of progress for Alma, I feel, because now we've got somebody who understands the recipes. She's got such a desire to find new colors 
like um, she'll always bring in new plants that she's found or um, vegetable skins that she picked up in the market. And to have somebody who really understands the vision and mission of the, of the organization, somebody who's local. And Mina is such a, um, such a, in many ways, a typical story for this part of the world. Um, she left, um, she was widowed young and then left to go to the Middle East to find work. She experienced, she had a really difficult time in the Middle East and was under house arrest, got her passport taken off her. And um, her kids were back in Sri Lanka being looked after by family members and really didn't know if she was um, like alive or not. And that is really a parallel for so many women in this area that they moved to the Middle East to try and find work um, and are kind of sold the idea that they can earn a lot of money and in a short space of time, but really that isn't really true and they get in lots of difficult situations. And so we really saw the solution as providing employment locally um, in rural villages and in rural towns that keeps families together and keeps women employed. Um, and so our training has, is evolving around that. So we've actually just hired a, an amazing woman called Mary and she's 60 and she has been um, working in the handloom industry in Sri Lanka for the last 30 years. Um, but sadly in the town that we live in, the industry has completely died out and that's mainly due to a lack of supply for a lack of demand in, um, in handwoven textiles with the influx of cheaper synthetic fabrics. Um, the price point just doesn't work for the local consumer as much. And so sadly all the workshops closed, but Mary's coming to start working with us. Um, and we've just started, we've just bought um, a few handlooms, five, and we just set them up in our new workshop. And um, that happened yesterday. So Mary's gonna start next month teaching the um, women how to hand weave um, on premises. And that will provide more employment opportunities for us. It will streamline our um, dye process. Instead of dyeing the fabric, which is quite limiting, and um, we can start dyeing the yarn, which will then mean that we can weave like 100 meters of avocado fabric, which is totally the dream. And, um, <laughs> and so it's really, because we're, so, we're quite small at the moment, we are really flexible in how we um, adapt to training. Because each woman that we employ has got different skills, they've got different challenges in their life. And what our commitment is to them is providing a way of um, them being able to work um, at AMA utilizing what skills they have, what skills they want to learn, what we need, and then how that fits in around their daily life and their children and their family. Um, yeah. Incredible. This is, this is such an amazing way to bring in like social, economic and environmental sustainability to these <laughs> communities. And as well as like empowering uh, brands to also uh, and designers to to think of alternatives that are available. So yeah. that's so beautiful. I'm really curious because I've never heard about this idea that women from Sri Lanka going to the Middle East for employment. Like, yeah. where did that you know story or narrative kind of come from? Like, 
what in the Middle East would they be doing? Ah, uh, yes. So, um, so it's very common um, for women from rural villages in Sri Lanka to move to the big cities to work as housemaids, um, or yeah, kind of housemaids and cleaning. And so you'll have lots of women from this area also working in Colombo, um, because that's where the job opportunities are. And the Middle East is another big area that employs a lot of Sri Lankans in like supermarket work, in housekeeping, looking after children. Um, yeah, those kind of jobs. So quite um, basic kind of jobs. And yeah, there's a big influx of um, Sri Lankan women from the tier states because of the lack of opportunity. And also the idea that if they can go and work somewhere for free, like two or three years and enough money to come back and build a house, then that's really set them up for a long time. And that's kind of the goal and the ideal that's sold to them, but not necessarily the reality in all cases. Right. That's fascinating. And also mm. terrifying because I, I can't mm. even imagine like leaving your family behind to, to go to such a such a foreign place mm. and having no idea what to expect and then coming across these massive challenges that impact your life forever. Um, yeah. So uh, it's, it's, I mean, not to end the sentence on a negative note, it, it's, it's really yeah. beautiful that, you know, you're, you're able to, that you're able to help provide more opportunity locally. What is the, the current status of kind of working in these tea estates? You know, what does that look like? And why is it so low paying? Like, where is, where is the, the disconnect uh, between like the final product and working with the farmers? And is it yeah. that these are like these tea, tea leaves are being sold to international brands? You know, is there just mm -hmm. not enough like fair trade practices being put into place? Are people working on it? I I'm so curious. Yeah, so um, the tea industry in Sri Lanka is really interesting. So um, in Sri Lanka, you've got um, the Sinhalese community, then you have the um, Sri Lankan Tamil community, and then you have the um, Indian Tamil community. And it's mainly the Indian Tamil community that we work with. And they were brought over by the British to work on the tea estates when tea first started being grown in Sri Lanka. Um, and they did this because there was, um, I think it was a drought in South India and they got sold a better idea of life in Sri Lanka. And, um, and so the tea estates have got lots of complex issues. They still carry a lot of the caste system of India in many ways. Um, but still at the moment there's real problems and our um, NGO partner Tea Leaf Trust or Tea Leaf Vision in Sri Lanka, um, they work a lot with young people aged um, 18 to 24, um, training them in um, mainly English to start with um, because that means that if they learn English then they can get a job in the tourist industry or hospitality industry or a much better paid job um, and but it also they teach them that's kind of like the entry point they do so much around like life skills and emotional development and um, the tea estates have got really high levels of suicide so Sri Lanka has the fourth highest suicide rate in the world and the um, tea estates are a real hot spot um, huge issues around alcoholism and um, 80 percent of tea plantation men are alcoholics and also 83% of women um, experience domestic violence of which 20% is um, sexual violence 
And so there's really complex issues in this area. And, um, and yeah, so, and then tied in with tea picking, often um, housing is provided to tea pickers. And so a lot, some of the women that we employ who come from the tea picking families, they will be living in a house um, which is owned by the tea estate, which means that a member of their family always has to work on the tea estate in order to secure accommodation. Um, and the housing is really, really basic. They're known as line rooms. And so it's usually just one room at the front, one room at the back, um, often in quite poor conditions. Neurelia is actually really wet. And so we have lots of rain and it's quite cold as well. So it can drop to around like 13, 14, 12 degrees. And the housing just isn't built for the cooler climate. Um, and so the tea pickers get paid around, um, I think it's about 500 or 600 rupees a day. And they have to pick a certain um, kind of quota in order to secure that pay. But we've heard of stories where women get, where families get paid in tea powder or in flour instead of wages. Um, and not all factories are uh, treat their workers this way. Um, and there are fair trade factories in Sri Lanka, um, but working on a tea estate is, it really doesn't allow you to progress um, and start earning a better living or a better income. It kind of keeps you trapped in that cycle of poverty for generations to come. And that's where Tea Leaf Trust and Tea Leaf Vision really come in, in terms of trying to break that and get the younger generation into better paid jobs so that they can yeah, create change within their communities. Wow. Okay. I feel like you're giving me, I'm learning so much right now. <laughs> there's, I, there's so much about Sri Lanka that fascinates me. And, mm. um, you know, I didn't realize that there was such a lack of, of serious opportunity in these communities where you'd think, you know, mm. people are thriving because obviously us as humans, we, we're thinking that every, mm. all the good stuff is happening around the world. Nobody's being paired unfairly. But mm. of course, like when it comes to these small marginalized communities, there's, there's so mm. much to learn. And, uh, so much opportunity that we can provide. Um, and I think, you know, that's where the social enterprise model really seems to come into play because, you know, for so long, these, you know, these amazing NGOs and nonprofits have been doing the work, but it, I feel like there's also, um, there's, there's like another realm of opportunity when a social enterprise comes in because it's, it, 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 it puts, you know, people and profit first. And um, that's what's so beautiful to see something like what, what you're doing with AMA come into play and be able to kind of connect these communities and these nonprofits together and, and provide just a, another level of economic opportunity. So that's really beautiful. Um, I'm, I'm feeling very affected by these stories of the women though, just because it's, it's always overwhelming to hear it, especially as a woman, you mm -hmm. immediately empathize and it's hard to hear. And, you know, I can definitely relate to a lot of, you know, similar stories within various industries, even in India. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, kind of moving into going from, you know, talking about the industry within, uh, the tea estates, moving towards like the fashion industry, because Sri Lanka is also a huge production, um, uh, capital for, for, for fashion. And, you know, what does that kind of looks like over the years? And cause I, I know, I remember when I was there, people were trying to always sell me to like, 
oh, like they make like Victoria's Secret like underwear here and you can get it super, super cheap. You should go to the factories. And I was like, why on earth would I want to do that? I know exactly what's happening there. And I'm curious yeah. if you could just shed a little bit of light of like what that looks like and, you know, maybe how you've been able to connect with some of the women that might be already uh, working in the fashion industry or connecting with brands across Sri Lanka. Just want to hear kind of a little bit more of what you've been able to, yeah. uh, what you've been able to connect to within the fashion industry uh, within the country. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the garment industry in Sri Lanka is the second biggest export in the country. So, yeah, huge. Um, it's a massive industry that employs loads of people and especially women. Um, and so my um, understanding of the fashion industry and how the garment um, industry works isn't like totally extensive. Um, but I have had some experience with a factory which... Um, was really actually close to our workshop here in Neurelia. And so they produce for some really big like UK brands. And it was really interesting to go in there because in many ways, I mean, they employ a thousand plus women from like these, the tea picking communities um, in this factory. And in many ways, that's amazing because that means that they don't have to move to the big cities to find work. And that means that they can live at home and things. Um, but in other cases, many women again have to board and find boarding and lodging with garment factories. Um, within the tea picking communities, it's seen as quite a, um, like in some ways degrading job. And, um, and again, it's, it's really quite low paid and the garment industry is, I was speaking to, um, uh, someone who works in the garment industry is one of the designers for um, one of some of the brands that produce here. And he was saying that um, Sri Lanka is really pushing towards the kind of sustainable side of the garment industry, like looking at things like dry dyeing, um, kind of high performance sportwear, um, really because that gives them a niche in comparison to um, I think Vietnam is probably Sri Lanka's biggest competitor in terms of garment production um, because Sri Lanka does pay higher wages than some of the other, like India or Bangladesh, I think. Um, and so that means that the costs are a bit higher. Um, but yes, yeah, so even in my town, there's a market where you can go and buy lots of winter clothing, which is all kind of seconds or much, much cheaper um and so lots of like coats and things um but sri lanka really is trying to um yeah kind of fill the sustainability sector in terms of making sure that their outputs are like much higher quality making sure that they are keeping up with the latest tech and innovation around fashion and sustainability and sri lanka does i think have like some of the greenest factories in the world and there's always like a scale of the ones which are um, really kind of leading the way and others which are like subcontracted um, small factories which are not practicing correctly and not paying correctly um, women having to work overtime young women having to board and live um, away from their families um, who are scared and who weren't really introduced into the what the reality is of living away and lots of these girls the girls that we work with who 
haven't ever really been to a big city necessarily before and then they find themselves there by themselves and this is um yeah and that's a lot to manage and a lot to cope with and so it's a a big industry with so many aspects to it and so it's hard to even know really where to start and um i think what has been highlighted to me though is that the factories which are kind of popping up in more rural areas um the positive of that is that they are providing jobs locally and that is really needed in sri lanka um and that's kind of what we hope to do with AMA in a way is that we can provide an alternative to kind of the big concept of a centralized factory and have lots of small rural production hubs um which i hope in some way could challenge that centralized factory idea like we may not always be as efficient but we might have strengths and we will have strengths in other areas like um we can be much more um incorporate carbon neutral practices into our process like hand weaving like embroidery we can be much more conscious about working towards a circular economy and reusing our water um utilizing rainwater for dyeing and and i think you're right when you said before that um within the so many industries in sri lanka they are looking towards sustainability and there's a fantastic organization here called the good market and they have really brought lots of different brands who are good for the planet and good for people together and many of our first orders for ama were from other good market vendors and so brands in different industries who were interested in natural dyeing who wanted naturally dyed fabrics and it means that you have a community around you that you can each kind of utilize their skills and collaborate and maybe it's because sri lanka is so small that this has been really possible um and i'm sure that definitely helps but it's created a really um yeah a really kind of positive output here um and minds are starting to change around like single use plastic straws um maybe starting off at the basic things um but there is greater awareness growing around um the fashion industry here and and that has definitely been kind of um grown a lot in the last few years i would say that's beautiful and i'm i'm honestly not surprised either like it 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 does seem like sri lanka has this beautiful like kind of community vibe and there's a lot of mm-hmm. people supporting each other's like entrepreneurial ventures and you know because it, i mean i was so shocked by like even how clean like colombo was and and you know it's it, it's yeah. obvious that people are start, are a lot more aware of you know their their environmental impact and um and it it makes sense to me that you know all these small guys it's a little bit easier for them to uh start implementing more sustainable practices and finding alternatives to their supply chain but of course you know i i also find that sometimes i get like really angry about these like monsters in the fashion industry but i have to remember as well mm-hmm. that like you know those guys are monsters for a reason they grew and mm-hmm. scaled really quickly and mm-hmm. you know it to now step back and be like okay we're a multi-million dollar company with like thousands of people part of a supply chain how do we even you know sustainably approach moving forward and implementing more innovative practices and it's totally a challenge and i think 
you know, a lot of consumers who are like very into, you know, sustainable development of the fashion industry are sometimes not as, not as forgiving, but people, you know, people are doing their part. It's just that it's taking a little bit longer than, you know, everyone would like because, you know, after years and years of doing something one way, it takes years and years to, you know, step back and change all of those approaches. Um, But it's, it's beautiful to hear that that change is happening. And I think it's happening, you know, around the world in some places a little bit faster than others, but it's really because, you know, uh, it, it really depends on the context that you're working with, of course. And, you know, the, and especially if you have, you know, production units across the world and, you know, so many different um, cultural complexities and et cetera to, to kind of implement or to take into consideration when going through a big shift into sustainability. Um, yeah. But one thing I want to, I just want to step back. I just thought of something that I really wanted to ask you. Um, so it, the fact that you're working, you know, with, with mothers specifically, I, I'm curious, is there any stigma around like employing mothers? Um, you know, when, when, you know, mm-hmm. there could be you know, stereotypes of like mothers staying at home with their young kids and are you helping them with kind of like coordinating childcare or how do they approach that? Do they bring the kids to the workshop sometimes? Just curious kind of like what that story looks like. Yeah, so we do face quite a lot of challenges um, around employing mothers. For instance, even today, we were hoping that one of the mothers we used to employ would come back after maternity leave, but her husband has said that he doesn't want her to um, continue working with us. And again, that is a kind of um, cultural kind of thing. And that happens in some cases. we would love to get to a point where we can provide childcare. And at the moment, we are trialing a new way of working in September. So up until this point, we've mainly just been working in the mornings. So um, 8.30 till 12.30, and then everyone will leave and they'll go and collect the kids from school and spend the afternoons with their children. Um, but we have seen a real demand for people to, of the mums wanting to start working full-time. Um, And so we're going to trial a new way of um, a kind of a shift way. So we'll have two shifts. We'll have one in the morning and then one in the afternoon. And we also employ a few younger single women from um, who've graduated from tea leaf vision. Um, And so they're going to mainly work in the afternoon. And then the mums are mainly going to work in the mornings. Um, And so this will allow us to employ more people. And it will also mean that the mums have got their afternoons free to spend time with their children. Um, And then the ones who want to work full time, then at the moment, we kind of just look into whether they've got, um, at the moment, their mums are just looking after the kids for a few hours in the afternoon after school finishes. um, And they've got childcare. But in another instance, we're working with, we employ a, a young mother who, a single mother and she would like to go full-time and her kid is in school for the duration of the day until four o'clock um, but she just needs half an hour to an hour at lunchtime to go to the school to pick her kid up and then to drop her kid at the classes and so that's where we feel that, um, that that's a really simple thing we can incorporate in and that's totally fine that she does that and it allows her to work longer she um, can provide her child with what they need during the day. And so we kind of at the moment take it by a case by case um, basis. 
And we see the need that we do need some younger women or women who can um, step in and do full days if we've got a big order. And so we're kind of working in yeah a bit of a split in terms of um yeah some mums a few younger women um two different shifts and then some which will cross and do four days um but yeah that's kind of how we're working at the moment that's beautiful very flexible as well like it's it's I, i'm sure it's probably so relieving for these women to also have uh you know an opportunity that's so flexible for their lifestyle um so that that's really really wonderful yeah even um so the single mum she used to be working in a shop in town um and she had to work seven days a week um 7 30 until um like 6 30 and for her that was just like a nightmare because she couldn't spend any time with her children and she was being paid like a lot less than she's been paid at AMA and for working less hours at AMA and for her now just to be able to um, have that kind of time in the day to um, pick her kid up to work to earn more of a wage but to be home by like 4 4 30 do the homework with her child like they're, they're really basic things it's not mm. kind of like revolutionary stuff it's just stuff which other companies aren't incorporating into working life and that's not just in Sri Lanka I mean even in the UK it's very difficult um, for women coming back from um, maternity and I think it's just needs to be rethought and does this actually does it benefit your work your workplace if someone's working like seven days a week all the hours in the day or will they be much more productive if they're here for a concentrated time they're not worrying about their child during that time they know that their child is safe they know that they can handle it that they're on top of things I just think there needs to be a really big mind shift mind um, shift in terms of working and mothers and childcare and things like that oh a hundred percent I'm like snapping over here I'm like yes <laughs> I feel everything you're saying I think there is a huge stigma around just like working mothers in general especially with small children around the world and um it's about time that we change that narrative because it's absolutely ridiculous <laughs> to, yeah. you know, like we should be so flexible to that. This is like, you know, mothers are what, you know, populate the world and yeah. they do so much good work and nurturing of, you know, of, of building these beautiful humans that, you know, go on to do amazing things. And I think it's, uh, thank you for like, you know, providing space for women to feel empowered and deciding to continue working and to still feel that they can, you know, be a part of their children's lives without having to work these crazy hours just to, to support their families. So mm -hmm. that's really, really beautiful. I'm getting a little bit emotional actually over here oh. listening to you because I, it's really, I, I just really connect deeply to it, especially because mm -hmm. I work with youth on this side of the world and it's, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's just been, you know, just interacting with these kids and then interacting with their parents and their mothers just being so supportive of them you know mm -hmm. wanting to fight climate change and like get in you know break the status quo and all this stuff it's it's been really really beautiful so i just think that we're entering this really sort of terrifying but also very exciting time to be alive because yeah. there's just so much more innovation and opportunity and people are really standing up for what they believe in and and you know mm -hmm. and, and making sure that even even as a mother they're still able to fulfill 
you know, themselves as, you know, an individual. They're not just a mother. They're, you know, a person with skills and passions and, you know, they should have the opportunity to explore that. So yeah, that's exactly. really beautiful. Um, before we kind of close up, I kind of wanted to, to go back to kind of understanding more about, you know, what, so what you're currently offering, uh, is it all B2B? Uh, what does that look like? I mean, I obviously know because I'm like a super Instagram stalker of everything that you guys are doing. I absolutely, and like the colors are so beautiful. And I, I'm also like, I'm already thinking about like, ooh, okay, I need to get better at like my tailoring skills so I can like buy some awesome organic like fabrics and that are all naturally dyed and start making my own clothes with all your ama, uh, all your ama, uh, fabrics. But tell yeah. us a little bit more about what you're offering and you know, how people can access um, your products. Yep. So this for me has been probably the biggest, well, not the biggest challenge, but um, seeing as I come from like a design background, um, I found it quite difficult because I don't feel like I've had any time for design. And so I, I'm hoping <laughs> within like the next year, like I'll be able to have a bit of a shift in terms of my job role. Um, but, but yeah, so at the moment we work for, we work with a few different brands. So brands who are like-minded or um, like we work with a wonderful um, turmeric latte brand um, that also sourced their turmeric in Sri Lanka um, wonder workshop. They've been so supportive from us since from the start. And for them, we create like um, just really sweet little turmeric dyed pouches for their um, oils. And then we collaborate, we've done some work with like different guest houses on interior stuff and um, we stock um, some stuff in um, a shop in London in a massage um, space. And we're still kind of exploring where it is we sit in the market. And for us, we've just launched our online shop, actually. And we've figured that that's such a great way for us to sell our products. Because um, although we totally see the benefit of being in some in shops and in retail stores, and we're looking to start getting our own products into like retail stores in different places. Um, it's amazing to be able to create products, ship them from our workshop in Sri Lanka and then turn up on a doorstep around the world. And for also our team and our mothers, um, that just kind of closes the loop a bit. So I really try to be open with them about who we're working with, where the stuff is going, so that they can understand like why our price point is as why it is that it is and um and things like that and also the aesthetic and the style um we yeah we kind of i tried to be as open as possible with them um so so yeah so we kind of we do a bit of both the orders have really sustained us from the start so we didn't really start with much funding and we started doing orders straight away and that's kind of how we have kept going. Um, and we're in a bit of a transition period, whereas we realise that long term, it'd be much better, we think, for our business to develop our own product range and get that into stores. But we can't fully jump into that wholeheartedly without still maintaining orders. And we see the collaborations as such a, a great part of what we do as well. And it brings... Um, it makes it kind of we reach more people that way um, and we can work with different clients around the world and um, and so we're still really trying to figure it out 
um, we're starting to weave our own fabrics. And so we'd love to start selling our fabrics like wholesale um, and our fabric designs wholesale. Um, I'm hoping we're kind of doing a bit of like market research at the moment. We're seeing what people are responding to well in terms of our own product range on the shop. And so any feedback anyone's got, we'd love to hear it. And then hopefully in the next kind of six months to a year, we can really tailor that down to the products that are working at the price point that's working. Um, yeah, so we do a bit of everything and we're always open to hearing people's ideas and um, if they want to collaborate or develop products with us. Um, we do really love doing that as well. Amazing, amazing. So if anyone wants to get a hold of you, where can they find mm -hmm. you? Yeah, so um, Instagram is great. So at Amma underscore Sri Lanka. And then also our website, which is www.amashrilanka.com. And if you want to get in touch, just email me through the website and yeah, we'll get back to you. Um, but yeah, that'd be awesome. Awesome. And for all our listeners, uh, we'll have all of the links uh, in the show notes so that you can get in touch with Josie and the AMA team. Uh, mm -hmm. Josie, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It has been such a pleasure. Um, and yes, I'm feeling super emotional. So thank you for what you do. It's very, very inspiring. And, um, I, and I was, I'm curious, is, uh, is there opportunities for travelers to visit your workshop and, you know, kind of get to learn more if they're traveling through Sri Lanka? Yes, I was actually meant to say that. Um, yep, definitely. So if you're passing through Nurelia, which is kind of on one of the main tourist routes, it's beautiful with lots of tea. Um, our new workshop is only about a 10 minute walk from town and we've got a little shop um, there and we'd love to show you around and show you how our products are made. So again, please just get in contact with me through the website and, um, and yeah, we can arrange for you to come by. That'd be awesome. Awesome. I know I will definitely, I'm still regretting not being able to stop by when I was there last year, but I know that I will definitely be back and be, yeah. and we'll come over for a visit. <laughs> That'd be great. That'd be great. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you again, Josie. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for um, taking the time to share our story. It um, means a lot. Feeling inspired? See what other impact stories we have to share over on causeartist.com. Be sure to subscribe for weekly updates from Grant and I about content, giveaways, and new episodes from Disruptors for Good and Impact India. Looking to learn more about social impact and conscious living in India? Hit me up on Instagram at Jasmine Rain. Cheers, friends!